Welcome to Mission Driven, a conversation about how startups leverage their social mission as competitive advantage. Mission Driven is hosted by Better Ventures, a seed stage venture fund in Oakland, California, backing entrepreneurs using science and technology to address the world's biggest challenges. You can find us on the web at better.vc and on Twitter at Better Ventures. I'm Rick Moss from Better Ventures, and I'd like to welcome our guest today, Davida Herzl. We have at Aklama some of the world's leading experts in this domain on our team. The technology that we've been building, this is extremely hard tech. It touches everything from miniaturization of sensors, really complex science, and atmospheric science associated with ensuring very high data quality, software engineering, data science, machine learning, data visualization, just a whole set of integrated capabilities where, you know, we have people on our team that could be working at some of the top Silicon Valley you know, companies or NASA. We have people that have worked at NASA on our team that have left NASA to come and work on our team. And it's all because of mission. She's co-founder and CEO of Aklama. It's a public benefit corporation focused on environmental intelligence, and it's one of the hardest startups in climate right now. Previously, Davida founded Next Earth Group, where she advised philanthropists and large corporations on advancing global sustainability. She holds a law degree from the University of San Diego, and we are super excited to have her here today. Welcome, Davida. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. I'm excited to chat today. All right. Yeah, why don't you start in with Aklama? Uh, what is it? Why is it special? I started Aklama with my co-founders with, um, you know, really it was driven by a lot of frustration around the conversation about climate change. At the time, after I'd, I'd graduated from law school, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by DNA and knew I wanted to build a business. And it was clear that climate change was really the singular and most significant challenge of our time, and that our generation was really going to be the last that would be able to really have an impact on that long-term trajectory. And I just became clear that there was nothing else <laughs> I uh, could be doing and, uh, and had to figure out sort of how to build a business that would really move the needle. And you know, when I started Akuma, I was just super frustrated that Climate change was being framed as something that happened to glaciers, as something that happened to polar bears. And, you know, those changes are really profound, but nobody was really making the connection that, you know, it comes back to us, that everything we put in the atmosphere that is changing the planet comes back into our lungs and that climate change is really a human health issue and was super frustrated that there really wasn't, that that story wasn't being told. And secondly, that, you know, when you really start to look at the problem of, of climate, you realize that, that we don't have the data or measurement infrastructure to understand two really critical things. Where are emissions coming from? And two, who are they impacting? How are those emissions impacting communities? And, you know, when you look at the numbers, you see that, you know, pollution impacts us disproportionately. If you are a Black American in the United States, you're three times more likely to die from air pollution. And so um, it became really clear that if we were going to tackle climate change and the human health dimension of climate, and the social and equity dimension of climate change, that we were really missing data 
to understand those two critical things, right? If I'm a regulated industry, I want data to prove that I am complying. If I'm a regulator, I need data to prove compliance, to, to, to shape policy. If I'm a community, you know, I need data to advocate for resources, to ensure that, you know, infrastructure investments are reaching my community. And so that's what we set out to build a decade ago was the technology to enable radical transparency really at that hyper-local scale and to really be able to understand greenhouse gases, air pollution, toxins, all of the different parameters that make up pollution at this really localized level. And so fast forward 10 years and today, ACLMA is a pioneer for having introduced block-by-block measurement of air pollution and greenhouse gases at scale. We can do this again down to the block level and at the scale of entire metropolitan regions. You know, one of our largest deployments is here in in the Bay Area where we're mapping every single block across the entire nine county region. All of that data feeds into a software tool and intelligence tool that helps our users understand and make sense of that data so that they can apply it to reducing emissions, protecting public health, and advancing equity. And so you have sensors you're deploying, correct, throughout the area? Yes. So the way that we do this is that we deploy, so we've introduced what we refer to as um, hyperlocal mapping or block-by-block mapping, where we've developed sensor technology that is uh, hosted on fleets of vehicles. Those fleets of vehicles are either our own fleet, partner fleets um, were deployed globally with Google Street View, for example, that as they're driving through city streets, doing what they do, or if it's our fleet, generating block-level measurements as they're driving through city streets, all of that data gets stitched together by our software into a picture of hotspots so that we can understand where those hotspots of pollution are down to the block level. And so that enables us to see everything from... PM 2.5 hotspots to understanding where there are hyperlocal methane emissions and understanding how that pollution is distributed across entire regions down to that community level, that block level. And talk about who are the customers and what are they using it for? And since we're in Oakland, if you have a story from Oakland or somewhere nearby, that would be ideal. Sure. So the product that we sell we sell subscriptions to Acoma Pro, which is our professional software tool. When we, you know, deploy in a region, we we deploy and manage the entire network, and so that enables us to ensure the highest levels of data quality. We have an incredible jobs program where we hire locally from impacted communities. We run that entire network. And then what we sell is not hardware, but subscriptions to the the SaaS product, which is Acoma Pro. And that SaaS product um, has applications in the regulatory vertical. So we're currently selling into regulators. So the the agencies that are responsible for actually regulating emissions. But we also have a number of industrial use cases and customers, cities and counties, local governments, and then also working directly with communities. And here in the Bay Area, one of our original partners here in the Bay Area is actually an environmental justice um, organization in West Oakland called the West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project, led by an incredible woman, Miss Margaret Gordon, who's just a personal hero, and um, started working together years ago now and together actually did some really groundbreaking science that proved 
that pollution varies uh, down to the block level by up to 800% from one block to the next. And so what that means is that pollution can be 800% worse from block to block. And that has huge implications because it means that where you where you live determines what you're exposed to. And what the data shows is that that tends to cut across racial lines because of historical systemic policies that segregated our cities by race and class. And so our data right now, one of its major use cases is actually to support regulators that are designing emissions reductions plans that are centered on environmental justice to prioritize emissions reductions in those communities that are most impacted by pollution. So our data helps to identify where those communities and where those where those communities are, but then also within those communities, understand down to the block level where specific sources of emissions are and where specific uh, hotspots are with regards to, you know, exposure. And so then, you know, that translates into programs getting designed for localized interventions that could be everything from investments in electrification, rezoning, enforcement of idling, informing um, electrification of port infrastructure, informing new major infrastructure investments, you know, how roads are designed, even investments in things like filtration for schools that tend to be located along you know, freeway corridors. And so instead of operating in the blind, right, when you're designing these kinds of programs to protect human health, reduce emissions, you can now do it in this really data-driven way that helps our users see where those issues are. And then over time, to actually benchmark progress, is my investment actually performing? not just in terms of the financial performance, but impact ROI. Am I reducing emissions and protecting public health, right? That's one of the ways and one of the primary ways that our, that our data gets used. And then you can also measure that it's working too, right? And, pe- exactly. and that, that policies and projects are getting results. Exactly. So when I talk about benchmarking and progress, you know, that's what I mean, right? Because we're continuously measured when we are deployed in a region, we're doing continuous measurement all the time. And so what that allows is really the capacity to see thing, how things are changing over time. And so if there's an investment in, a, in an electrification corridor, for example, being able to quantify the benefits of that in a data-driven way to see if you know, you're, you're really maximizing the benefit of those interventions. This is fascinating because, you know, I, I think I came into this conversation thinking of you as an environmental monitoring company and you are that while you're an intelligence company, but it's so intertwined with social justice that you can't really even tease the two apart. And so it's not really just about improving the environment, but it's really about the justice aspects of improving the environment and, and health and public health and, and fairness and all of these things. Right. And that's, you know, and that was the mission when we started to draw that to draw that linkage between human health and planetary health what was it was there something you saw i mean you started off by saying that you saw the environment as as sort of the the issue of our day and something that can be affected in our lifetimes but it's a subset of that which is the justice side so like what what drove you to justice yeah you know there's never I listen to you know a lot of podcasts and a lot of founder stories, and that question gets asked a lot. Like, what was the light bulb moment? And the truth is that it was a it was a journey, right? And it was a, the culmination. The building of Acoma was the culmination of a lot of different experiences that really, really 
provided that clarity. And frankly, at Aquama, you know, what's so fascinating about our work is that I learn, I learn new things every day about all of the dimensions of, uh, of this challenge. But I mean, there were a number of, of things. One, you know, I grew up with my father um, with my, in my, one of my parents' businesses, which was in supply chains. So before, before there was Alibaba, there were people like my dad who were, you know, helping to facilitate trade between factories and suppliers and companies to get things made. Everything from your t- from your TV in your house to your clothing, and um, and so that experience of growing up with exposure to the supply chain world made the world a really little place, right? Because I saw the samples of cotton from Turkey, you know, getting shipped out, you know, to factories across the border in Mexico and then and then ending up on shelves in, you know, our local department store and, and going into the store and just realizing that, you know, there was so much that was required to get that onto our shelves. Our lives of convenience can be so easily taken for granted. And there was a one experience where my dad actually we went down to visit a, a factory and we had, a, so he had actually taken me down to see the facility for the factory before the factory was built. And then he took me after it was built. And it was the visceral experience of actually seeing those emissions, of seeing the factory workers, of seeing that, you know, their eyes were red, all of them from the exposure to the toxins that they were breathing from seeing the toxins that were sort of getting spilled out into the groundwater, you know, outside the factory. And my father just like telling me, you know, just us having very profound conversations about just how broken that was. (laughs) And there were so many experiences like that. For me, you know, our impacts on the planet, it wasn't just abstract, it was visceral, you know. And I just, it was clear that our relationship with the resources that sustain us is broken. And that that brokenness really shows up at the dimension of, of the human impact because we're, we're not able to take care of each other, <laughs> of ensuring we're not, we're, we've, we have a system that has translated into some of us breathing healthy air and some of us breathing some of the most toxic air on the ever in history. And that being okay, it's not okay. <laughs> and before Aklama, you couldn't measure it. You couldn't monitor it. You couldn't, you couldn't tell whether you're getting it. results or yeah. not. You can't yeah. slam your fist on the table in right. Congress and say, this yeah. isn't right. And so there is a social justice dimension to what drove me to this. But ultimately, business was the vehicle for it because, you know, the technology that needed to be built needed significant investment and some of the most significant users of our technology are going to be and are in the enterprise in an environment where they have to manage for climate risk, in an environment where they have to manage for the human health impacts of, of their work, and where you know it's not just the companies that want to do good, right? It's also about license to operate. It's okay if the driver is the bottom line. It is the bottom line because these are these are risks that now affect the bottom line. We were a little bit ahead of our time when we started building the company, but now people get it. Measurement is just a really important part of everything from the future of carbon markets to the future of, of regulation and, um, and everything in between, because we're talking about the single most significant resource right, that supports life, that we have to collectively do a much better job of managing, not just for the future of 
you know, our species and our society, but our economy, it's what our economy is built on. So I'm, you know, that's why we, that's why we did this. That's great. And as an impact investor, I'm just melting over here. I wish we had met sooner because um, it's exactly what we're, we look for is this sort of personal connection to the problem. So you started off by saying that, you know, it's about the environment and something I can do in my lifetime. And as soon as you start talking about your family and the supply chain and the workers and the factories that you saw and the injustice, that's when I know, you know, we know when talking with people like you that it's deep and it's personal, right? And, and I, we think that's a vehicle for, outperformance. Absolutely. Had, had it not been, had it not been personal yeah. and, you know, I don't know that anybody would be crazy enough to do what we've done. Yes. <laughs> so, That's it. Are you listening so, investors been, out there? That's what they're looking. It's been so it. hard, right? It's so hard. Um, and now, you know, we're looking at a pretty massive, massive market in mm-hmm. front of us that, that not a lot of other people have figured out how to crack. So give us a quick update on where you are today in terms of size and number of customers or whatever whatever you can say uh, that uh, you, you raised a, a big round of financing recently. What's, what's the sort of latest on the company? Yeah. So last year, we announced a $40 million Series B with an incredible group of investors, including the Microsoft Climate Innovation Fund. We were one of the first investments out of that fund. The uh, Bosch corporate venture capital team, but also investors like Plum Alley, who really focus on women-led companies who are solving really hard problems in really exciting new markets, Rethink and uh, Social Capital, Clear Vision, so a pretty spectacular group of, um, Kapor, of investors. Caper, Emerson Collective. Yeah, yeah that's, so, quite so, a, <laughs> that's quite a group. Yeah. Maybe that's a good uh, segue to... Keep going. So you talked about the round. What about what else about the company? Yeah. So um, and today we're you know over 130 people today, and uh, you know in a really exciting moment of growth for the company, when really we have the wind at our back, both in the corporate sector now really understanding that climate risk is financial risk, and uh, measurement being a really critical part of managing emissions. So, you know, if you're talking about, you know, utilities, right, having to manage their emissions, data helps them identify where those emissions are and helps them understand if their investments in infrastructure are performing and actually reducing this emission, those emissions. It helps them prove the emissions uh, reductions. In government, there is a wave of legislation that is increasing the demands on emissions monitoring for everything from uh, methane to particulate matter to community scale uh, monitoring. And so increasing demand across government and industry for that kind of data that we're, well, I can't talk about the specifics of you know, our pipeline right now, just in a really exciting place where everything that we've been working towards is really, you know, really, the technology was made for this moment. And at the same time, we have a, a global partnership with Google where we are scaling our technology worldwide through a partnership where Google is hosting our sensors on Google Street View cars. And so there's going to be more, more news about that later this year. But just really excited about the position that the company is in right now. And one of the things you know I have to manage for right now is opportunity and just staying focused because there's right. so there's so Too much. many. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. It sounds like incredible progress. And um, my hat goes off to you. So let's dig into mission. The point of this podcast is to think about and discuss 
how entrepreneurs leverage their social mission for competitive advantage. So let's maybe get into that a little bit. Uh, well, we already have, but more and more deliberately. So say a bit in hiring and creating your culture and your branding and your sales, your marketing, your fundraising, what comes to mind in terms of how it's most powerful and giving you an advantage over some poor other company that doesn't have that social mission? It's everything. <laughs> you know, I'll start with, I'll start with our, with, uh, with our people. We have at Acclima some of the world's leading experts in this domain on our team. The technology that we've been building, this is extremely hard tech. It touches everything from miniaturization of sensors, really complex science, and atmospheric science associated with ensuring very high data quality, software engineering, data science, machine learning, data visualization, just a whole set of integrated capabilities where, you know, we have people on our team that could be working at some of the top Silicon Valley, you know, companies or NASA. We have people that have worked at NASA on our team that have left NASA to come and work on our team. And it's all because of mission that we're able to compete with other extremely well-funded organizations and bring people to the, to the company because they want to apply those skills that they've honed over so many years towards solving a really important problem that matters, right? It's, and for us, it's at the intersection of climate and social justice. And that also translates into extremely long rates of retention on our team. You know, these are the kinds of problems that take years to solve, has required a lot of time. And, you know, people sticking, people have stuck with me through thick and thin and you know I'm humbled frankly just daily by them and it's because it's because of our mission and that's everything so the found, the people are really the foundation of the company and, and why we're here and why we do what we do but it translates into you know mission has been essential to building out our cap table you know it is very hard for any founder to raise money yeah, even in today's environment when there's a lot of capital in the system, there is a ton. But what I'll say is that, you know, my advice to founders is always like, think about the long term, right? Because mission enables you to filter for values alignment. And as hard as it is, less than two, you know, less than 2% of venture capital goes to women founders, less than 1% to founders who are women of color. And so it is really, really hard to raise money and that, you know, with those kinds of numbers stacked against you. But what mission does is that it becomes a filter for identifying the kinds of investors that will take that leap, that will see the value and problems you're trying to solve and stick with you for the long term, again, through thick and thin. And so it's been essential to finding investors that are fundamentally values aligned and that, you know, it's been a critical part of, of, of raising, you know, funding for, for Aquaman. It's not been easy, but it's really been a huge enabler for us. So if you were simply a, like a, a sensor engineer who left a big company, a large corporation and wanted to start this and went out to fundraise, you think you would have not been as successful as you've been? Someone who's not on a mission the way you are? Yeah, 100%. Because then what's the competitive advantage? You know, anybody mm-hmm. can build, a, not anybody, it's really hard to build sensing devices. But, <laughs> yeah, don't um, say that. But, um, but that was all that you were doing, right? Mm-hmm. What is your reason for being? <laughs> and right. so that reason right. for being is what, you know, any company, 
and new new technology company, it is really hard to build something new and bring it into bring it into the world. But you know, mission translates into grit. It translates into resilience. It translates into creativity because there's you know, taking something to market, you're in the same in the same way that you, you know, there's rejection after rejection in raising money. Raising money isn't the win. The win is, you know, bringing customers onto your, um, you know, onto your, your platform or adopting your technology. And it's hard. It is so hard to go to market and to, and to figure out, you know, find product market fit and mission just extends it extends your runway. It extends. It, it increases your likelihood of, of survival and your likelihood of winning. So you know, it's been it's huge. So talk about that. You mentioned like you connect with these investors because you're of a similar mindset and shared values. Talk about that in terms of customers. Have you ever walked into a customer setting and thought to yourself, you know, we are we are so similar in the way we think about things that I've got this, or what, or has that happened? Well, sometimes it's we're so dissimilar. <laughs> but the one ah, thing we well, have say, say more about that then. How has it helped? That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, I remember our early meetings with Google. I mean, what you know, we were a tiny company, right? And or, you know, our meeting or, you know, an original engagement with, with EPA. We have a 10-year cooperative research and development agreement with the EPA. Literally nothing, no logical reason why we should be, um, why they should be listening to us, right? But the reason that they commit and the reason they take a bet and the reason that they commit the resources, you know, compared to a bigger company, you know, taking the risk on us on Acclimat, even when we were going head to head with other companies, was that they saw that we were motivated by mission and that that meant that we had a higher likelihood of success, that we were going to do whatever it took <laughs> to get there, right? I mean, I remember, you know, one of our early engagements um, over at Google um, when we were initially sort of talking about deploying our technology on the Street View fleet, you know, there were a million technical challenges that needed to be solved. And they did the diligence on all of our technical capacities, all of that. But the reason they took the bet is that they saw that we cared deeply and that we were going to do what it took to figure it out. So I think it actually gives you a competitive advantage in getting, especially early on, getting customers to big customers, right? We have global companies in our in our pipeline. So if, if Google were to sell off, you know, slots on its the roofs of its street view cars and say, uh, here, we're holding an auction, you know, each you can have a sensor on a, every car around the globe. You know, imagine how they could monetize that from someone willing to pay more or or, you know, who's so eager to have that, and they chose you. Yeah, that's you know pretty spectacular win, right? I mean, that's and that's a story that gets repeated over and over and over again in our journey. And the thing is, Rick, that we do do whatever it takes. <laughs> you know, my team is just a powerhouse. I mean, they just they punch above their weight, and they always come through and sometimes it takes longer you know sometimes i mean sometimes we're solving problems that no some other no one has ever solved before and it is really hard but they come through and do you think that's partly because of mission or entirely like to what degree are they punching above their weight because of that mission translates into a couple of things for us one you know a central part of our mission is our commitment to diversity and the majority of our leadership is women the majority of our scientific team is women 
you know, we have something like 11, 12 PhDs, right? All, you know, women. I speak to this because, you know, that commitment has resulted in an extremely rich DNA at the company that is not only diverse in terms of gender and race, but also just in terms of background. And there's something magical about the way that all of those disciplines and backgrounds come together in the vessel of this mission-driven company that just translates into, into invention, into innovation, and gains on technology and in this domain that have never been made before. <laughs> and so that is what mission does, right? It just creates the space for inventiveness and a level of creativity that um, you don't see elsewhere because, because there is a personal sort of deeply rooted cause right? um, inside each of them that's driving them to solve these problems. And so, and so it's not just a job, no. And so that results in you know, technology that's market-making and a product that is unique in the space, right? So that is the definition of competitive advantage is the, the size of that moat. So you hear that all you entrepreneurs out there, your mission can translate into a $40 million Series B led by Microsoft and a, a number of a, a who's who of prestigious impact investors it can translate into a line out the door for people who want to work there, a culture where people work hard because they love it and they care and they succeed, you know, sales and, and sales engagements where you win because you connect with those with your customers trying to solve the same problems and you know it's it's like every time you turn around there's another advantage to what you're doing so this is how you do it let's uh briefly talk about public benefit corporation and then we'll we'll move to wrapping things up here you're a you're a public benefit corporation you want to say a bit what is that and and why are you doing it yeah so you know we um we announced that we transitioned to a public benefit corporation when we announced our our series B and we we did that for you know a couple of reasons. One, with all of our customers, and it goes back to what I was saying before. To say that you're mission driven, I mean, you know, a lot of companies can say that. Question is, are you truly and authentically living and breathing that you know top to bottom, you know, across your organization? And it's a continuous process to align everything across your organization with your values. That it's not a process that you know sort of write up a policy and then that's it, right? It's a constant and continuous check. And it's important to do that because it's the foundation of your culture and your culture is what results in your competitive advantage and your capacity to win. And that needed to translate into the legal structure of the company as well. And so it was really, you know, we were growing, we were bringing on new investors and we wanted to really be in a place where we weren't just saying, yes, we're mission-driven and let's make sure that our values are aligned. It was, you're also signing up for a company where our board has a fiduciary, not just a profit, but to maximizing and ensuring that we deliver on our mission. And that means that sometimes we're going to have to make decisions that are in service of the long-term and not the short-term, in service of optimizing for impact, because we know that over the long-term, and when you look at the long-term performance of the company that that's going to result in a stronger business, more revenue, right? more credibility, bigger impact across the board. And what's so wonderful about, about Acoma is that every dollar we make is literally a measure of our impact. They're not disconnected. And so it was a really important part of ensuring that as we grow and as we bring on more sales 
leaders and expand our team and expand our board and and raise more money, that that was just baked into our DNA, not just from a values perspective, but from a legal perspective as well. Have you seen any drawback? I imagine the most crass investor out there might say, we don't want to invest in stuff like this. You mean we have a duty to make money first. Go look at the transformation that's happening right now, right, in the public markets. Look at the the transformation that's happening, you know, towards the significance of ESG, how you measure ESG, the trends um, around what shareholders are demanding, right, in terms of not just shareholders, but stakeholders. You hear people like Mark Benioff, right, at Salesforce talking about the significance of... and. We have seen nothing but benefit from the transition. And we think it actually makes us, increases our likelihood to win business because it's actually a competitive advantage to be able to say like, when you become an Acoma customer, you're also committing to impact. And that's a story that customers want to tell, right? Especially right now. And so that's a really, really important part of our work and our moat. And frankly, you know, increases revenue so we can do more. And you have the CEO of BlackRock telling all the biggest corporate CEOs, if you're not doing this, I'm not interested in investing in your company. And he's someone, well, the firm controls about as much money as anybody out there in the market. And you must be seeing the result of that when those companies turn around and have to get their act together. All right, we're nearing our close here. Our main audience here is founders, uh, especially those who are mission-driven and aspiring. What advice would you have to those uh, early-stage founders who are kind of just just starting out but but desire to follow in your footsteps? I would say build a business that reflects your purpose. You know, there's so much advice out there about the division between, you know, work life and home life. And the truth is that you know, when what you do with your life energy every single day, every single email you write, the late nights that you put in, when that is fundamentally aligned with your personal purpose, what you build can just become so extraordinary because it really becomes, you know, a manifestation of that. And so I think, you know, my advice to founders is to, is to really take the time to do that because no matter what you build, it is so hard. And if it is like, it, you know, it makes the highs worth everything to have what you build be aligned with, with your purpose. And it gives you the resilience and the, the sort of guiding light to work through what are invariably going to be really, really difficult lows. And if it's aligned with your purpose, you grow so much, you learn so much, and ultimately, you know, have a, a chance to really leave the world a, a better place. So that would be my advice. Hallelujah. As we wrap up here, if you were to summarize your own personal mission, you just talked about, you know, uh, following your your own personal passion. What uh, what would your personal mission be? In short, if I were to say, uh, Davida Herzl is on a mission to what? My personal mission is to help, and there's many others that are involved in this kind of work too. But you know, to really help heal the relationship between people and the planet. And what I've learned through my work and building Acclama is that we won't get there unless we, we express and live compassion for each other. Because if we can't, if we don't believe and we don't ensure that everyone has the right, has access to clean air, to clean water, 
then how on earth can we possibly take care of the rest of, of nature? And so it really comes down to ultimately healing the relationships and the divides that we have amongst each other. So um, it's been a pretty powerful, powerful journey. Debita Herzl, co-founder and CEO of Aklama, on a mission to help heal the relationship between the people and the planet. Thanks, Devita. Thanks so much, Rick. It was really great to chat today. Thanks for listening to Mission Driven. To find out more about Better Ventures, visit us at better.bc or on Twitter at Better Ventures.